Elias, welcome back. Behind the Well Show, Roger Abel with Elias Randall. How we doing, Eli? Good. Good. Happy to be here. Happy to be on the show again and talk about um, money, I guess, all, all people's financial worries and concerns and what they're thinking about. That's what the show's all about, helping people, you know, have a better financial life, more financial confidence, build their net worth. One of the things, uh, yesterday we had a client in the office. I thought it was interesting. We talked a lot about Roth IRA versus Roth 401k. And interestingly enough, I, I had another client call me yesterday afternoon and they were asking me questions about their 529 plan. In fact, let me back up. It actually wasn't a client. It was a friend of mine. Um, he was asking about 529 plans for his kids and they're what I call high wage earners. Um, and we started talking about it and they said, hey, you know, we're concerned we might be saving too much in these 529 plans. And I said, really? I said, well, just so you know, you got a Christmas present in the Secure Act 2.0 legislation. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, under the new legislation, there's been a lot of changes to Roth IRAs um, and things you can do. And that's what we're going to cover in this show is some of the big changes in Secure Act 2.0. But for this individual who who is concerned about oversaving their 529 plan, I, I I told them I said you know in the new legislation there's the opportunity to convert up to thirty five thousand dollars of those funds to a Roth IRA for their kids, and I've actually had the same conversation with my wife about this because when our daughters were born, um, we, we had a gift from a family member for some money that we put in, and then we've put a pretty sizable amount of money into these things. And we had the discussion, like, when are we going to stop contributing? Because we don't want to have a situation where there's so much money in there that they don't use it for school because there's always a risk that, you know, your kids don't go to a school, they get a scholarship, you know, they take a different route. And we're seeing that more today where kids are going to a trade school and they don't need, you know, 30,000 a year for their education. They're going to Kirkwood becoming a, uh, welder or some kind of electrician or one of the trades. So this new legislation really helps out those individuals who are worried about oversaving in a 529 and then the adverse tax consequences which come with it. And, and I think there's going to be a lot more that comes out about this. And, and I think they're going to close some loopholes as to how this is going to work because this is really, in my opinion, most people that are going to oversave in a 529 plan are families of means. I, I mean, let, let's just be honest. The family can oversave by $35,000, and it may just end up being another giant backdoor Roth IRA for for those families. Yeah, it, yeah, that's probably right, and it probably will be. Uh, I still like this solution for people um, to be able to – so. So the new rule is you can take up to 35000 do a rollover into a Roth, and that's for the beneficiary of the account, right? So it wouldn't be the person who starts it, right? Do I understand that correctly? Well, technically, you can change beneficiaries on these accounts. So what would stop me from changing the beneficiary to myself? Or having an okay, additional... That's, yeah. Or having an... So, so think about this. You've got a husband and wife, two kids... I could set up a 529 for daughter A, a 529 for daughter B, a 529 for my wife, and a 529 for me. Now, there's rules. It has to be in place for 15 years. Well, I'm 44 years old. 
So I could potentially accumulate another $35,000 in this account and then convert it to a Roth IRA with no tax. It's just another way for me to fund a Roth IRA, which I'm not eligible to do anyway. I'm already doing the backdoor Roth IRA. So if you so think what about you're saying this, is you should do it. I'm going to do it <laughs> for my kids. Not necessarily for me, because here's the deal. Here's what we well, right, know. But even if you can fund, right, you're going to do it for them. But even in your situation, if the girls used it up and there was still some money in there, you could make yourself beneficiary. a beneficiary and take it. 35 over into your own Roth account. So here's the caveat. I like that idea too. So here's the caveat here, Elias. Yeah. That's today. And we did a show about a year and a half ago when, do you remember the show we did when uh, Robin Hood had to halt trading in GameStop? And I think we named the show, the rules are always going to change. Just be prepared for the rules to change. So I had this conversation with my friend. I said, you know, that's what it is today. I would be prepared for those rules to change because it'd be really easy. Oh, you make X amount of dollars. You aren't eligible to do the conversion. And then you've put yourself in a bad position. Now you're paying penalties and, you know, ordinary income tax on these funds. So until we know more, I wouldn't be too confident in it, but it seems like it's a good option for families who are saving in a 529 plan. And what I do, what I think is it removes the psychological barrier here because I get this from a lot of people, not just people that are, you know, making what what we call a high earner, but just husband and wife making 120 to 160,000 a year with two kids and they're funding 529s for college. Well, what happens if we don't use it for college? They're really worried about saving the money in a place that they're going to have to pay taxes and penalties. Well, this kind of overcomes all those objections. If you can go convert this into a Roth IRA, like what's the worst thing that happens? You save some extra money for yourself or for your kids. Yeah. So from that perspective, it's a very good thing. Um, It's also just so if there's any like if there's someone right now who their parents did a good job saving in a 529 and they just graduated. And just for ease of conversation, let's say they have an additional thirty five thousand in that account. Well, what a great start to your investing career when you start working. You you have thirty five thousand and you're. Roth IRA to get started. You can only put 6,500 a year in there when you're under 50. So it'd take you five years, six years to get, I mean, it with growth, it'd probably be more, but I think that could, that could really, that's a fortunate situation to be in for anyone who can take advantage of this. I know before the show we talked about it and you said, well, I'll run the numbers and I don't know what the numbers are. So if we have a 22 year old who gets $35,000 from a 529 plan, converted to a Roth IRA, how much does that grow to tax-free? Like, so he, give me the numbers on that and yes. how you, and, and give me the calculations of like a, what fund you used and how, how you came up with this. Yeah. So here's, so here's everything that went into it. When I ran this one, it's just a one-time purchase of 35,000. So this would be the example of you have 35,000 extra in your 529, roll it to your Roth. And what fund did you use? Uh, just S&P 500. What, what's uh, the ticker that you used? It's the uh, Vanguard Admiral, I think. VFIAX? Yes, it's VFIAX, yeah. And you plugged it into Morningstar. Yep, so looking back, so this is a historical performance. This isn't a, not a projection. This is what happened. This is what would have happened since 1983. 
all dividends and capital gains reinvested. So you literally just put 35,000 in the S&P 500, reinvest all the dividends, capital gains, never make another contribution after 40 years. So you at 62. So the, you're talking about a 22 to 62. 22 year old get yeah. to retire early at 62. Yep. So this is your 22 and 1983 put 35,000 S&P 500 today. And this is with the market being down from where from the all-time high. 2.37 million. That's not that's incredible. Tax and that's free. never that's all that's tax, tax free, free and that you never made an investment change, you never contributed any more money. You just made one decision one time and let it ride. Your kid could literally be the worst investor ever never do their 401k, never do any investing, spend every dollar they make, and they'd have 2.3 million bucks, or they would have had 2.3 million bucks. Right, and th that's not even getting into the argument of it's all tax-free money. So the IRA equivalent of 2.37 million is higher because there's no tax, there's no tax liability coming out of any of this oh, money. Yeah. So yeah, good move. Good move, like whoever it. did that 40 years ago. Better Good start job. funding your 529, Eli. Better start knocking that out of the park. Yeah, no kidding. But, I mean, it really does for people that are worried about, hey, what if we have too much money, which, you know, we kind of have a saying in this office, we've never met anybody that said they wish they would have saved less. Um, it it kind of overcomes that obstacle. couple other things in this package, which depends on how old you are, but, We've changed the RMD age again, which this is really good for people that, you know, aren't going to use these funds. It's really good for people that, you know, want to keep accumulating because they're still working. But, man, they've made this a mathematical mess as to who takes an RMD, when they take an RMD, because the new rule, well, the rule that was changed about a year ago pushed the age to 72, the new rule pushes the age to 73. And then on January 1st, 2033, it pushes it back to age 75. So there's just a lot of calculations that people have to do on this RMD now, where before it's pretty easy. It was 70 and a half for everybody. Doesn't matter which year you're born. Um, right. So the way it is now, if you were, if you turned 72 on December 31st, 2022, you, you owed your RMD for last year for 2022, correct? But if you turn 72 on January 1st, 2023, you have another year, I believe. So people turn in 72 this year, they don't do it until next year when they turn 73. If they turn 72 in 2023? Correct. Yeah, you're right. They won't do it till they're 73. Right. Yeah. Um, so is this good or bad? It's good. I mean, people are living longer. And if you think about what a what a distribution or this requirement distribution is really designed to do it's designed for the government to get their tax dollars in no way is this a benefit to the individual who has the IRA of their 401k this is all designed because the irs is now telling you it's time for you to take this money out you've had it in a tax deferred state in some cases for 30 or 40 years we'd like our revenue I think the good thing is, is they're actually recognizing that people are living longer. So let's let them accumulate their dollars longer. People now aren't living longer, they're working longer. You know, if you think about 
like my grandparents, they retired in their 60s. They had life expectancy of like 80 or less. Today, you know, people have much longer life expectancies. I had a client in yesterday. Mom just passed away, 100 years old. She missed her 101st birthday by like 12 days, I want to say. It was like a really short period of time. But I'm like, wow. man, you know, 30 years ago, if you had somebody who was 100 years old, that was like a feat. There's a lot of people at 100. And the, isn't there a theory or a line of thought that there's a person living today that's going to be like 115 or 100? Or the speculation is the first person to be 115 or 120 is actually living right now? Yeah. In fact, I'm, I'm Googling it right now. Uh, Rick Eidelman is the one who talked about this... Um, this phenomenon that there's a person on been born on this earth that's going to live to be 150. 150? I think it was 150. It might have been over older than that. But I remember talking about this on a radio show, and this is like four or five years ago. But if you think about it, think about what modern medicine does for people today. Like, we can keep people alive longer than we ever thought. The biggest issue is how do we connect the mind to it? I see today, it's not really an issue of keeping people, their bodies going. It's keeping them mentally going. Because as you age, we're all going to like lose some portion of our memory, some portion of our mental capacity. I mean, when you're 100, you're just not operating at the same level you did when you were 40. That's not a bad thing. It's just how people age. But think about what if they could figure out that? What if they could figure out? how to have the mind operate like a 40-year-old at 100 years old. Now we've got the way to really extend life. I think I think the question for me is if we could keep someone alive, let's say, to 150 years old, what's the quality of that life going to be? Like right now, your last 50 years probably isn't great. Last 50 <laughs> I mean, years? Jeez. Well, no, but think, dude, think about it. Okay. Dude, there's do, you know any, there, yeah, there's... do you know anybody who's 100 years old? No. Okay, I do. Oh, you're saying the last, I thought you were saying in general, the last 50 years no. of people, like from age 50 to 100? No, from age no, 100 saying, to yeah, 150. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm with you. Do you think that quality of life's great? Yeah, maybe not. Now, potentially, out, yeah, no. no. No, nobody, I mean, let's be honest. There's not many people who are 100 years old that are going, getting up and walking three or four miles and going having coffee with their friends without some level of assistance. There's probably a few, but not that many. So we might be able to make people live longer, but we got to figure out how to get the mental function there. So regarding this RMD, I think that's one of the reasons they push this back is, you know, one, people are, don't do a great job saving. So if you have saved, let's not, you know, kind of derail it by making you take this money out. And I've told people for a long time, going back to 10 years, if you start taking that RMD and you take that distribution and spend it every single year, you're going to run out of money because that's yeah. what it's designed to do. So just because they tell you you have to take the RMD, the required minimum distribution, doesn't mean you have to spend it. We have a lot of clients that take that money and move it from their IRA account into a brokerage account, keep it invested, and just pay the tax. That's a way to not run out of money. But a lot of people think, oh, man, yes, I'm getting this money. It's my money now. Spend your money the whole time. The IRS just wants the tax dollars now. Yes. And if you spend it, 
um, yeah, you will deplete the account. You'll, you'll spend all that money down over time. So I actually speculate I might live to 120. I actually think I can do it. Okay, just give me the basis why. Just stubbornness. 120 years old, why not? If there's someone living right now that's going to do it, how come it can't be me? I don't think your lifestyle or my lifestyle is conducive for 120. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think barbecued ribs and pulled pork and... And, wi- and whiskey is a good way to get to 120. <laughs> we'll find out. Time will tell. That's that. That'd be me. The 105 year old. We're like, oh, how'd you do it? Well, I ate a lot of barbecue and I drank whiskey. You and... like Uncle Vito, who smoked eight packs of cigarettes a day and lived to be 97 years old. <laughs> yeah, we go. all know an Uncle Vito. Uh, I saw him. There's a lady, hundred some year old lady, and they asked her, and she's like, I drink one Dr Pepper a day, or I drink one Diet Coke a day. That's was her joke about her uh, key to longevity. I thought that was pretty funny. My grandma, my great grandma lived to be 97 eggs and bacon every day. Yeah. That's every day. eggs like, and bacon are healthy. They're but most people you. 20 years ago when she passed away, that wasn't considered healthy. Yeah. That's, right. Cause that's propaganda. We were, we were talking about cholesterol and fat and all these bad things. And I have this conversation with my wife sometimes We're like, why do you think, you know, people are on more meds today, and I think it's all about processed food. I agree I, with that 100%. I think as much as we say we're going to be able to help people live to be 150 years old or whatever age it might be, processed food is part of the reason our kids all have allergies. I mean, both my kids have allergies. At some level, maybe processed food has to do with that. I don't know, but what's different between now and 60 years ago? How many how people many, eat a lot more food that comes pre-packaged, pre-prepared, just preservatives in the and, and all the other stuff. There's yeah, no in way the that's covered and you. easy to make. And yeah, I agree with all that. That's, but you know, it's convenient. Well, it makes life convenient. It's convenient and it's inexpensive. A lot of it. It's interesting what's happening at the. You know, we we've talked about inflation a lot this past year, and for a long time, you know going to the inside aisles at the grocery store was the cost effective move. Cause the outside aisles is like your produce, your meat, your dairy. Well, you think about a grocery store all set up the same and the outside aisles are all produce, dairy, meat, like yeah, on the well, inside. Why it, is that? Cause well, that's where all the good stuff is. Right. But on the inside, they pack all like the box foods, the canned food, all that stuff. And for years you could just, go to the middle aisle and go get a 39 cents or 39 cent box of macaroni and cheese. Macaroni and cheese is two bucks. And the produce hasn't, in my opinion, I do all the grocery shopping in my house. That produce section hasn't gone up as fast as the inside section. I went, my wife was making walking tacos for the girls the other night. What a bag of Doritos is. I never buy chips. So I didn't know. She goes, get Chips a bag are of like Doritos. $7 a bag right now. Six bucks for yeah. a bag of Doritos. I'm like, are you kidding me? I used to remember when they were like two and a half bucks or and there's two less, for six. There's less chips in there. Well, yeah, that's. I'm very upset. Shrinkflation. Yeah. The, Between shrinkflation and inflation, you can't buy a bag of chips anymore. So wait a minute. You, eat, you eat Doritos? Yeah, I'll eat yeah, Doritos. You're not making it to 120. Um, that's what you I'm say. just saying. So you, you won't be around to know anyway. I'm so. sure I won't. I don't have the willpower to go to 120, Elias. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm not as stubborn as you. 
another cool change in this Secure Act 2.0 bill. Um, they're going to start allowing simple plans to accept Roth employee contributions. So this is actually a big change. And a lot of people don't know what a simple plan is, but the simple IRA plan is really a good employer sponsored plan for small businesses. It's significantly less expensive for employers and employees to administrate versus a 401k. So a lot of times if you have a business with less than 30 or 40 people, it's way more cost effective for everybody to be in a simple plan versus a 401k plan. You know, the 401k plan really is designed if employers have lots of employees, one, two, if owners want to maximize their contributions to a retirement plan because they can do some profit sharing and some other things. But for most employers looking to add, you know, employee benefits to help employees stay around, help employees hit their financial goals, simple is a better way to go with this new provision goes into effect in 2023. So there's an opportunity that people can, or employers could switch and start offering Roth deferrals in this simple plan, which I think is, you know, a really, really good opportunity for people who, who haven't had this before. I agree. I would say this is a positive change. I think kind of the, to me, one of the overall themes is from some of this secure 2.0 stuff is um, getting taxes paid right? Cause like they extended the RMD age, um, which makes it take longer to get taxes out of those, um, IRA type accounts. But now if you offer, if you're going to have all simple IRAs, SEP IRAs, basically every kind of IRA you can do Roth. Now they're also incentivizing to just pay their people to pay their income tax today. So it's kind of a win-win where the government can generate more tax revenue. You can get your money invested into a space where it can grow tax-free, which I think any way you analyze it um, is typically very beneficial for most people and uh, income levels and, and the situation they're in to have the tax-free growth and tax-free uh, distributions when you start taking the money out. So I think all in all, I would, I would, say this is a positive change. I think it's a good thing. I, I hope a lot of people take advantage of it. I think when I think about this rule, you're right. We think about the benefits for the clients. The benefit for the client is we're getting to a tax-free space. We're getting to the world of 0% taxes. But you're right. There is a large benefit today to the government to incentivize people to move from the traditional 401k or simple IRA to the Roth. And that, like you said, is additional tax revenue. I don't know what the additional tax revenue is, but it's large. Oh, it has to be on deferred but, deferred compensation but or however you want to look at it. the scary thing, Elias. We're really just cutting our, the government's cutting their legs out for 30 years down the road, right? We're looking yeah. for a solution for today like an easy solution versus everybody pays more in tax or we cut spending. Like we don't want to do that. So where can we raise more revenue? <laughs> right? No, think about it. Yeah, I'm with Going you. Going and telling the, the United States public that we're going to cut programs. That's not popular from a political standpoint. Going to the United States public and saying, Hey, by the way, 
We're going to raise your taxes 3% a year. That's not popular. But what is popular? Hey, guess what? You get to do a Roth IRA and you can defer this money for 30 years tax-free. And we get a little more revenue today to help our situation, although it kills them down the road. Well, it does because it's it's a like the flip side of traditional 401k and IRAs. You do get that, you know, your tax deduction in the year you do it and it grows tax deferred. But you're not only growing your investment account, you're also growing your tax liability. So when the government allows that, they're actually raising their future revenues for 30 and 40 years down the road. Well, think of, think about the thirty five thousand that we just did the example of a. Yeah, if that was IRA, now that two point three million, there's tax owed on that, and depending on your income and how much you're taking out. It's like the silent way to tax people more today, even though it's to their benefit. I mean, yeah, it's to so the general new... public's benefit to do that Roth IRA in most cases, especially if you're a young person. If you're sixty years old and you're retiring tomorrow, or in two or three years and you're gonna start using your retirement funds right away, you'd be hard pressed to probably find a real good rationale as to why you're gonna do that Roth over the 401k if you're gonna take it right away. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a break even on this. And one of the things we can help people quantify by, by doing some planning is, should I do a conversion today? What's the break even? Like how long do I, you know, how long do I have to wait for this to be a good thing? Because if you converted your money to a Roth today and then you take it out, like what good did that do? You already paid the tax. You took out a tax-free distribution that hasn't grown. Who cares? Yeah, the, there's an aspect of time with Roth accounts that you need the right amount of time for it to make sense. I, you know, I've talked about this for a long time. Roth accounts make a lot of sense for relatively young people and people who are looking to transfer wealth to the, generate, the next generation in a very tax-efficient manner. For a lot of people, it doesn't always make sense, especially if you, you know, you're a few years from retirement. So if you're gonna make a decision on what to do with a Roth IRA or where to contribute, you know, obviously consult your tax and financial person and they'll they should be able to give you some good guidance on what they think that you should do. And they probably can back it up with some level of statistical data versus kind of just their opinion of it. Yeah, I th yeah, I think those are those conversations to me are best when it's someone who's got a CPA, um, a financial planner invest, or investment advisor. Just you're working with professionals to help you quantify those decisions and make them. And you really probably want the opinion of, um, of both the professionals you hire for those services because it's going to give you two different perspectives. One perspective is going to be purely from just a tax accounting perspective and the other is going to be more of a an opinion based on like your legacy planning, what your goals are for your money and how you actually invest your money. So as we keep moving through 2023, we've heard a lot about recessions, you know, the pending doom that's coming, whether that happens or not. I thought it would be good if we just talked a little bit about, you know, what are some money moves people can do? if you're concerned about a recession. And I think after Friday, was it Friday? Google laid off 12,000 people. Google. Mm -hmm. And they did in a pretty abashed manner. They did it through email or your computer was shut down. They didn't sit face to face and tell anybody. 
Yeah, it's hard to have 12,000 face-to-face meetings. Did you have – yeah, but, I mean, I think you owe it to your – you owe it to your people. If you're going to lay them off to sit down and have a conversation, not just, oh, yeah, by the way, see you later, don't show up Monday, and your computer's dead. A Zoom call with 12,000 people to so, uh, fire the – So I don't know if you watched it, but uh, no. on the on the Ramsey group, they had um, – the Dave Ramsey show, they had – I watched one of the clips last night on it, and – uh it's pretty concerning that they would, number one, fire that many people. It's 6% of their labor force. So they just said, hey, we're getting rid of 6% of the people. But additionally, how they did it, right? They, I mean, a lot of times when an employer lays people off, they have transition packages. They're going to help you with employment assistance. This is literally was people woke up on Monday morning and couldn't log into their email. That's pretty ruthless. They call their boss. What happened? Their boss goes, I don't know. Oh, it looks like you got laid off. That's not very nice. It's really not a nice way to do that. And they're not the first ones to lay people off. So if you think about a recession coming, what's the first thing you start to see? Layoffs. Layoffs. Companies are going to cut expenses so they can keep their earnings because that's essential to keep their earnings intact to keep their stock price intact. So I thought, based upon the amount of layoffs that have happened out there, let's just talk about some of the money moves people can do right now to kind of get ahead of it. Having some kind of a plan is prudent in today's environment, especially if you're at a company, if you're at a tech company, you should really be thinking about, hey, what's the exit strategy? What's plan B if I get laid off? Not just, you know, the last three or four years, don't worry about it. I mean, remember a year and a half ago, we were talking about the great resignation, people leaving jobs to go to the next job or the job they always wanted. And now we're into job preservation mode. Yeah. All that just job hopping and moving around and I'm only going to work uh, remote. All that goes out the window in a recession and when there's layoffs. And let's be clear, the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, wants you to lose your job. And that may sound unpopular, But the number one metric the Federal Reserve is looking at right now as to what they do with interest rates is unemployment because wage growth has just outpaced everything. And that's part of the reason we have the inflation we have is people will just pay whatever it takes because they have the money to pay whatever it takes. As people lose jobs and there's more competition, that's going to change. So I think the first thing if you are, you know, in a situation where you think your job can be in peril, or you're concerned about a recession, really this this is irrelevant, even if you have a aren't worried about your job. Pay off all your high interest rate debt. Like sit down and put a plan together. Start knocking out your debt. If you have a credit card debt, you should pay it off. There's not a single investment out there that's outperforming the interest rate you're paying on your card on a year-over-year basis. No, there's not. So it's a great time to get those higher interest debts Paid off. I saw the reel the other night. Off. Have you seen the reel of Mark Cuban? He talks what about did credit he card. S- I think I saw something. He goes, the best investment you make sometimes is an investment at all. Pay off your credit card. It's 18%. Show me an 18% year-over-year investment with no risk. I mean, if you pay that off, there's no risk. It's a guaranteed 18% this year if you pay your credit card off. That doesn't exist. It doesn't exist anywhere. So get out of debt. We had a talk with someone yesterday, and they came in to do a financial plan, and they weren't sure if they were on track, and they were. And I said, well, you guys are on track because you've eliminated all your consumer debt. 
you're doing a good job. The trick to being able to do this is not taking on debt. Yeah. Yep. Not taking on debt and saving the saving the right amount of money too. Then that was the other thing that that family's doing really well is they're saving a good amount of money. They're not just saving the minimum in the 401k to get the match. Yeah. They're doing more than that. And that's why they're on track to be successful. And they're doing other things that we talk about like, Hey, when should I increase my 401k? Oh, when you get a raise, if you get a 3% raise, increase the 401k 1%. You got a raise, your retirement savings got a raise. Additionally, they have their spending under control. Yeah, which I mean, is a lot of we people. Asked them how much, you know, how many times do we ask somebody how much money they need to live on? And they're like, well, I don't know. No, no. She had on her phone the exact amount of money they spend every month. Right. Which and with the things that are available through apps and technology, almost everyone should have like something tracking their spending. And hopefully it makes it easy. Um, like, I, you know, like not everyone is built to have their budget on a spreadsheet and enjoys doing that. But that's why these these apps exist stuff on your phone that just link to your bank account. It just gives you a report. I mean, you might have to do some organizing, like labeling stuff and telling the computer what it is, but there, there's tools out there to help people make it, make it easy. So you should know what you're spending. And it's nice when people say, well, I don't know, but here, let me log in. Okay. This is exactly what, what we spend every month. It's okay. nice to know that. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Yep. If you're not tracking your spending, you don't know where it's going. You don't have control of your money, number one, but let's say that I'm not beating up on this company because I enjoy coffee there. But let's say your household making a hundred thousand dollar household income. You're not tracking your spending, so you don't really know where your money's going. And you start tracking your spending for one year, and you realize that those two coffees every single day at Starbucks cost you three thousand bucks. Ouch. Would your behavior be different if you knew you spent three percent of your gross income on coffee? Yes, if you broke it down to what you spent annually, because no one no one thinks oh, I spend three thousand bucks a year on. Yeah, husband goes gets a four dollar coffee. coffee, wife gets a four dollar coffee. No big deal. I spent four bucks, like no big deal. But over three hundred sixty five days. Yeah, it's a lot. It adds up to a lot of money, and I have that way. My accountant actually brought this to my attention. This is like five years ago. He goes, "Did you really spend that much money on coffee?" Because I went to Starbucks every day. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I but guess I wasn't. I did. I wasn't trying is I wasn't tracking where I was spending. He's like, that's kind of crazy. I'm like, yeah, kinda. I mean, I can afford to do it, but I thought twice about it. It's you can it still doesn't feel good when you it look at the horrible when you like, look at the minute. number, no matter if you can afford it or not. If you spend three thousand bucks or thirty five hundred bucks at Starbucks in a year and you look at that number, you're gonna be like, Wow. Well, like why Graham, did I do that? On the Graham Stephan show, he always talks about that. He's like, I drink a ten cent cup of coffee. I bet it's not 10 cents Oh, he, today, yeah, he despises expensive coffee. Yeah. It's one of his big main things he talks about. Well, I really enjoyed it until I decided I was going to go on a diet. Because then you realize every latte you have is 120 grams of sugar and 300 calories and just doesn't support uh, a healthy lifestyle. I guarantee if you're doing that every day, you're not living to be a buck 20. I don't do that every day. So you think about that coffee conversation, Elias. Instead of buying coffee, you could use that money to do savings or, or whatever it, 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 
what whatever other opportunities out there, that would be significantly better than buying a $5 cup of coffee. I'm not saying you can't do it occasionally, but even me, like I cut back. Yeah. But I became aware of it. Well, and here's the good news. If you are going to maybe cut back and save some more money, there's reasonable alternatives now to just stock market investing where you can put cash to work. Like if you have an, a, like your emergency fund, if you need to boost your emergency fund, you can find high yield savings account that are paying something three, three and a half percent, you know, maybe even some of your emergency fund, you could do like shorter term CDs or something. Just, you gotta be smart, right? You can't take your emergency fund money and go invest in risky assets, but it is nice. We're in an environment where there's reasonable alternatives for your cash. That's just kind of been sitting in the bank, making nothing for the last five, six years. Yeah. I mean, there's CDs paying north of 4% for very, very short periods of time. Uh, the third thing, if you're think potentially, you know, there's a, an economic problem for you on the way is just boost your retirement contributions now. So think about this dynamic. If you think, Hey, my company maybe isn't the stable or I'm in the tech space and we've been laying people off. If you have the extra money, maybe you kind of juice your retirement contributions early in the year, make them a little higher. So if you do get laid off, you still have your annual amount you want to contribute to a retirement plan in. Um, I wouldn't put like your retirement or your uh, emergency fund apparel by doing this, but if you have extra money, maybe you just up your retirement savings a little bit. And the other thing that does in today's environment today, it's helping you buy the dip. Like we're still down 16, 17% on the, on the S and P year over year. So you're still buying at a relatively lower price. You, you are. And if you raise your, you know, it's, it's everyone's time horizons different, but if you're someone who's younger than 50 and you're working and you're contributing to your accounts, you increase your contribution. Like truth be told, the longer the market stays down and even maybe is flat or sideways, those your outlook for long-term returns, it, it goes up and it gets better and better the more shares you buy at this price. So it's it's really it's one of the easiest things that someone can do. It doesn't involve any picking investments. It just involves a little behavior and then a strategy. I'm gonna save a little bit more money. So, and in the longer the market is the way it is right now, the, I would think the better off people will be over the next 10 and 20 years, but that's just, that's my opinion. Well, with that said, Elias, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show again. If you want to check us out, you can go to btwellshow.com. Elias, you have any closing thoughts? Everyone, thank you for listening. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.